The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. This is Radio Wave Medjinomics with your host, a friend of Medjugorje. It's money, it's money, it's money. People can't go throughout the day with it being in a pocket. One thing our lady has done for us is set us up on a way of life that we don't have to be thinking about that. We're on our own grounds, we don't have to leave. We have an agrarian system. Not completely self-sufficient, but it aids us in not having to go here and go there and do that so much. And it's a freedom. And yet everybody's life is cultured and centered on the accumulating of funds or getting enough for that week to what they need to do to survive and to make it to the next week, even if it's day by day, which is a form of slavery. And Satan is active in that. All right, he has told us, Satan wants to enslave you through materialism. She told Ivanka. And she warned us about that. And indeed, the whole world is going that way. And so, as we've said before, we have no economic problem today. We have a moral problem. 
when you bring things to order, you have things in order, you don't have to worry about the peripherals. And the peripherals is everything outside of your heart. You get everything in order, and that's what I always hear is to order your heart, to get you straightened out, to get you to be holy, to get you walking and understanding the, the commandments and living them. To bring us to order through us as individuals coming to order, everything else falls into place. And so now we have a world on fire because we have Christians who have not lived their faith. We've given marriage over to our bondables because we've let divorce into the church and it's become normalized. It's just another divorce, just another moment, just another thing that's taking place. And no wonder they can take marriage and change it into something else. We gave it to them. And still I hear a little from the puppets denouncing it or showing how little two lambs who got married how to stay together. Very little effort. Very few words about that. It's just to shrug the shoulders. What can I do even as a pastor? You can do a lot. You can demand that this is not acceptable. But that's not where we want to go today. We want to bring those things up to show you why things happen. Why are the Muslims doing what they do? The jihadists. The radical ones. Why is this taking place? Our sins. What will result from it? Years ago, I was with Mariana. We had an interview. Not actually, it wasn't an interview. We had a conversation. I wasn't there to interview her. And we spilt over into a lot of subjects about resulting into the book that I wrote called Mariana Mystery Revealed by the secret prayer she got. It's a must read. If you've already read it, read it now to understand what's taking place now. There's going to be a sweeping conversion across the whole world. You don't call a plumber to fix a leaking pipe. But when the pipe breaks, you have to act. The king of Jordan allowed a lot of things to happen until they burned their Air Force pilot up, and he reacted immediately because the pipe was broke. It wasn't leaking anymore. You can say the same thing about Egypt. When 21 Coptic Christian Egyptians were killed, he reacted. Not so in this country, not so with our president. Why is that? I can tell you some good things are going to come from all this. Because when the pipe breaks, we have to react. Something happens. When you push us into a corner, you have to decide how you're going to get out of that corner or you die. And the church is very sick. The church is very weak. Very, very weak. And so when you start spilling the blood of Christians, you're fertilizing the ground to make more Christians. This will strengthen the church. This is going to unite us. This is going to make a force out of us to do what? To convert the whole world. Our lady's here for that. But you have to understand what you're up against. You have to understand what's happened. Why did we have the Middle Ages? The medieval time, the Dark Ages, the Renaissance. Where did that come from? How did that, what sparked those things? And here it is, our ladies tell us, we're coming to a springtime to the church. We're coming to a Second Pentecost, she didn't say that. I'm saying that. We're here to rebuild the church from the outside, not from the inside. It will not come from the structure. It will not come from the bishops. It will not come from the Pope. It's going to come from us. That's why she calls us the apostles. 
Are we claiming ground we don't own? No, it's coming from heaven and it's given to us and we're titled that and that's our position. Jesus has his apostles, that's the bishops and the priests, hierarchy, and our lady has hers and that's what she's here for. Jesus had his time. Now this is Mary's time. She's new. There's a new time. She's bringing us a new time. She said literally, quote, I bring you into a new time when you get to know God more. Did those 21 Coptic Christians know God more? Was their face when they're standing there kneeling down? And I didn't watch a video because we don't watch videos, number one. Number two, I wouldn't if, if I had video. But I have seen the picture when they're kneeling down. And look at their face. What were they thinking? They knew God at the height of their death because they were fixing to give their life for him. And so years ago when I said, I bring you to a new time, this is it. This is her time. And what prospers the church more than it being persecuted? And what results in that? Renaissance. I want to play an interview that was done with a man by the name of Bill Fetter. He's Catholic. And he was on a program called Southwestern Radio. And this guy usually has real good gifts. He's Protestant. And so this interview will show you some things about what's taking place to give you a better perspective of what Mariana says is going to be sweeping conversion. And all the bad that happens results in some kind of good happening. And so it is with what we see now is going to bring a brighter tomorrow, even though we... We have to walk a gauntlet to get there. But we have to react to this, first in personal holiness, bringing our heart to order, so that everything else that's disordered will come to order. So this tape show that was done yesterday, broadcasted, will play for you now, and it will give you insights to what's taking place now with ISIS and where we're headed as a world. There are a couple of things that we can start with. I've been doing a little research, and I noticed that in his speech to the United Nations General Assembly in New York, September the 25th, 2012, President Obama said this, and I'm quoting him, the future must not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam. I didn't say the future must not belong to those who slander Jesus Christ or Buddha or Harry Krishna or whatever. What's the president's take? I mean, is this man a Muslim when he, when he makes statements like this? You know, you've, you've done a lot of research and a lot of people have asked me, well, Brother Larry, do you think our president is a Muslim? What's going on here? What's your take on all of this? Well, whenever Muslims conquer a country, the people that they have conquered are forbidden to insult Muhammad. And so this is uh, part of the Dhimmi status, D-H-I-M-M-I, Dhimmi status. It's a second-class status. And so when Muslims would conquer Syria, uh, they conquered uh, Jerusalem, they conquered the Middle East, uh, they conquered Egypt, that if you insulted Islam, you were killed. And so uh, what the president is saying is that he wants to have world Islam. In other words, anything that is not Islam is insulting to Islam. The gospel is insulting to Islam. If you were to go on the street corner of Saudi Arabia and say that Jesus is the way to heaven, you would be insulting the prophet and calling him a liar, and you would probably get killed. And so 
uh, Hillary Clinton meets in uh, 2011 in Istanbul, Turkey, with the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Little background, uh, Truman started the United Nations, and uh, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote this Declaration of Human Rights, and uh, how people around the world have the freedom of religion, freedom to join religions, freedom to leave religions. Uh, it does not mention God anywhere. It's just these are rights we agree upon, right? And so uh, they let some Muslim countries join the UN, some more Muslim countries, some more, 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 till finally they have 57 Muslim countries, and they pressure themselves into forming a block of votes that is so big it basically uh, has immense control in the United Nations and has co-opted their agenda. And so the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 57 Muslim country leaders, the richest men in the world because of us buying oil from the Saudis, um, and they have one issue that they've been working on for 20 years. It's Resolution 1618 for the United Nations, and it wants to make it a crime worldwide for anybody to insult Islam. Hillary Clinton meets with the OIC in Istanbul, Turkey, and promises them that she will find a way to get around the First Amendment so that in America we will uh, embrace this uh, rule to forbid the insulting of Islam. Shortly after, Hillary pulls all of the defense troops out of Benghazi, and the uh, embassy is attacked and killed. Six hours into the attack, she releases the um, memo uh, through the Secretary of State's Department to YouTube and Google and visits with the president and says that the, uh, they need to censor and stop any speech insulting Islam. And so you have the president and Hillary going out on this speaking binge saying, we need to stop people from insulting Islam. We need to stop people from insulting Islam. Zviku uh, Brzezinski, who was Jimmy Carter's national security advisor, he was the one that advised Jimmy Carter to abandon our, our American friend, the Shah of Iran, and let Iran fall into the hands of the fundamentalist Ayatollah Khomeini uh, so that Iran would be a fundamentalist state and a thorn in the side of the Soviet Union. And it worked. It helped bring the Soviet Union down, Union down but it created a problem bigger than it fixed. But we have Zviku Brzezinski on MSNBC saying, we need to stop these people from insulting Islam. There are Christian pastors that are insulting Islam. This is a conspiracy. We need to silence them. You can't yell fire in a movie theater and then say that you're innocent. So in other words, you can't uh, say something incendiary that can incite the Muslims to kill and then say that it's freedom of re religion. And so they were almost getting this passed. They were getting the momentum going internationally to push through this uh, UN Resolution 1618. But then suddenly somebody found the journal of the ambassador in Benghazi, and he said he was asking Hillary for uh, defense support and security. And they're like, wow, what, what did she get this? Uh, why didn't she respond? And it and it sidetracked that whole agenda. But we were this close to having a U.N. resolution that America would have adopted that would have eliminated our First Amendment and would have made this very interview uh, illegal because they could say, well, you're insulting Islam. And so, um, again, when the president says the future does not belong to those who insult Islam, that is code for saying that the future belongs to Islam. 
because anything that's not Muslim is insulting to Islam. Well, you mentioned, you know, about saying something incendiary. And I, I will admit, you know, personally, looking at Charlie Hebdo, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not big into insulting people. However, you know, this often heard quip that, well, we just don't need to be insulting and so forth. But as you point out, to say that Jesus Christ is the only way and to say that he is the eternal son of God, to say that God is triune, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's insulting and that's incendiary. So it's not just the coarseness of Charlie Hebdo, but it's it's even preaching the gospel, even starting a Christian school, even uh, proclaiming the Bible to be the Word of God. Even that, if evidently from what President Obama has said, even that would have to be ruled out. Right. It's important. And again, we have a 1,400-year track record to see this in operation. If I was going to pitch a stock investment, you would listen, and then you would go online and check out the stock. Is it going up or down? You would look at the track record. Well, if I'm going to say a religion is peaceful, you go online or you go to buy these uh, resources we're talking about, and you can look at the 1,400-year track record. Well, the Muslims conquered Egypt. Uh, in the 7th century under Amir ibn al-As, and they destroyed the largest library in the world at Alexandria. It had stuff that went back to Abraham's day. They destroyed it. Uh, the Caliph Umar, the tradition is, that he said every book that does not agree with the Quran should be destroyed. And every book that does agree with the Quran is redundant because we have the Quran, so destroy them all. And once they destroyed that, they held back the ships of papyrus. Papyrus was a reed that grew in the delta of the Nile, and they would dry it out and pound it down into sheets, and this is where we get paper. Um, now, the pulp from tree paper started with China in the 1300s, but we're going all the way back to the original paper, and it came from papyrus reeds, and it was uh, shipped across the Mediterranean. And when the Muslims conquered Egypt, they held back all kinds of ships of trade, but in particular ships of papyrus. So there was a paper shortage in Europe. And they began to write on expensive things like vellum, like sheepskin, and uh, it became very expensive. And so literacy declined in Europe. Fewer books were written, and we call this the Dark Ages. So Islam is responsible for Europe going into the Dark Ages. And then later, when the Muslims invade into uh, what is today Turkey, back then it was the Greek Byzantine Empire, they spoke Greek. Well, when the Muslims invaded uh, and the Greek scholars fled west, and they went to Florence, Italy, and they took with them their Greek art and architecture and literature, and what do we call this? The Renaissance in the 1450s, uh, the the year that the Muslims conquered Constantinople was 1453. And so as these Greek scholars are fleeing and bringing all their Greek stuff to Florence, Italy, there's this re-interest in Greek stuff that we call the Renaissance. So Islam is responsible for Europe going into the Dark Ages by holding back the ships of papyrus, and Islam is responsible for Europe entering the Renaissance by chasing these Greeks to flee. But the Greek scholars did not just flee with their art and architecture. They brought their Greek literature and Greek New Testaments. But as we see that as Muslims conquered the West, 
the east rather civilization fled west and so finally uh the um Muslims invaded, when they've invaded the Byzantine Empire, uh, the Greek uh, emperor uh, began to cry to the West for help, and the West sent help, and it's called the Crusades. People say, well, those Crusades were terrible. Well, they were the Muslims having the Crusades, conquering the Christian areas, and it was these Christians begging for help. And so the most popular Greek Orthodox saint was St. Nicholas, and uh, he lived during Roman times, gave to the poor, and he's, he was a Christian, and um, and so these Greeks would give presents on the anniversary of his death because he was a, a generous guy. And um, when the Muslims invaded uh, in the year 1087, uh, they would destroy the churches like they've destroyed the thousands of churches in Syria and Iraq just recently. And so the Greek... Um, took the bones of their famous Greek Saint Nicholas and they moved them to Italy, a little town called Bari, B-A-R-I, on the eastern coast of Italy. And there was a pope named Urban II, uh, and he dedicated the church where the remains of Saint Nicholas were put, and he had so many of these Greeks fleeing for help that Pope Urban II goes to the Council of Claremont, and he begs the kings of Europe, to follow Jesus' example of leaving the 99 and going after the one. So leave your countries and go after to help these Christians that are being killed by the Muslims. He says the Sarsarans, which was their word for Muslim, uh, forces people to extend their necks, and then they attempt with a single stroke of a naked sword to decapitate them. We're like, yeah, they do that today. Anyway, so Pope Urban II, the same one that built the cathedral for uh, St. Nicholas's remains, he calls for the First Crusade. The First Crusade goes over in 1097, takes back Jerusalem for 100 years, and the rest of them sort of fizzle. Uh, Richard the Lionheart led the Third Crusade. Uh, I'm speaking to you from a city named after the guy that led the Seventh and Eighth Crusades. What was his name? St. Louis. He was king, the king of France, King Louis the Ninth. He was very pious and religious, and his ancestor was uh, Charles Martel that helped stop the Muslims from invading France back in the year 732 A.D., and he thought it was the French king's responsibility to defend Christendom from Islam. And so that was King Louis the Ninth. And, uh, and finally, uh, the Crusades fizzled. And uh, the Europeans pull back. The Muslims pick up where they left off. They conquer Constantinople in the year 1453. Not only do all the Greek scholars flee west, but it cuts off the land routes to get from Europe to India and China. People forget Marco Polo uh, in 1271 went from Venice, Italy to China because China had, uh, you know, China plates and gunpowder and thread from worms, silk worms. They invented paper currency and. India had teas, dyes, and spices, and so the Europeans wanted to trade. But when the um, Muslims conquered Constantinople, cut off the trade routes in the year 1453, and so this is when the Western Europeans looked for a sea route to get to India and China. And in 1498, the Portuguese made their way around South Africa to India. But a couple years earlier, in 1492, a guy named Columbus said, I know a way to get to India and China sail directly west. He runs into some islands. He's convinced he's in India. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he names the inhabitants the Indians. Think of it. We never would have called Native Americans Indians if it was not for Islamic Jihad. <laughs> Co 
why did Columbus name him Indians? Because he thought he was in India. Why was he trying to get to India? Because a few years earlier, the Muslims conquered Constantinople, cutting off the land routes to India. We wouldn't have a Santa Claus if it wasn't for, for Islamic Jihad. What do you mean? Well, the Muslims invaded, and that's when they moved the bone to St. Nicholas, which is the Dutch pronunciation is Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. Um, and so uh, we see this Islamic state expanding. And so, again, the Muslims that are doing violence today see themselves walking in the true traditions of Muhammad, the rightly guided caliphs, and the Ottoman sultans, and um, the effort to try to tell Muslims that they need to be peaceful is a departure. It's basically telling them to backslide from the example of their previous leaders. Bill, the... The whole idea of insulting the prophet, it's weird to me, but there is a Muslim cleric who has actually tried to defend the Paris terrorist attack. His name is Anjem Shudari. He actually blamed the French government and the victims themselves for the terrorist attack. So these guys really mean it. And, you know, no preaching of the gospel, no lifting up of Jesus Christ, no talking about God being triune. They're dead serious about this. Right. Well, there is, uh, again, Muhammad is the perfect Muslim. And so he is the one that we can uh, look to. Uh, there was a guy in uh, named Ibn Qatal. And he was in Mecca, and Muhammad had not yet conquered Mecca. And Ibn Qatal had two slave girls, and he had made up poems making fun of Muhammad, and he had his two slave girls reciting the poems. When Muhammad finally conquered Mecca in 630 AD, uh, he uh, takes off his helmet, he gets off his horse, uh, and he comes up with a list of of 10 people that he once murdered. And among them are Ibn Qatal and his two slave girls. And so the idea of if you insult the prophet, you get killed, goes all the way back to the prophet, Muhammad himself. Now you compare this to Jesus. Jesus never killed anyone. Muhammad killed an estimated 3,000 people. Uh, Jesus and Muhammad beheaded uh, um, 700 in uh, uh, Medina uh, as well. Uh, Jesus never owned slaves. Muhammad got a fifth of the slaves taken in battle. Jesus never uh, married. Muhammad had anywhere from 11 to 22 wives. He had slave wives and concubines. Jesus never tortured anyone. Muhammad uh, conquered a Jewish town called Kaibar. It was an oasis in the desert, palm trees, a wall around it in 628 A.D., but the Jewish chief refused to tell where the tribe's treasure was hidden. Muhammad had him stretched out on the ground, and they kindled a fire on his chest. He still wouldn't tell Muhammad had him beheaded. Uh, so Jesus never tortured anyone. Muhammad did. Jesus uh, did not force anyone to follow him. He said something difficult. Many disciples walked with him no more. Uh, I, you know, Jesus turns to Peter says, You want to go too? Peter said, where else can we go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. But Jesus was willing to let him go. Muhammad said, whoever changes his Islamic religion, kill him. So you're free to join. You just can't leave. It's called the Ridda Laws, R-I-D-D-A, Ridda Laws. Uh, and so Jesus uh, forgave insults. He's dying on the cross saying, Father, forgive him. Muhammad avenged insults by killing Ibn Qatal and his two slave girls. Um, Jesus uh, taught that God was our father. In Islam, it's blasphemy to call Allah your father. Uh, Jesus taught that we're children of God. In Islam, it's blasphemy to call yourself 
a child of Allah, because Allah took no wife and has no son. Jesus taught we're made in the image of God. In Islam, Allah has no image. Jesus taught to have a personal relationship with God. In Islam, it's blasphemy to even want to have a personal relationship with Allah, because he's transcendent and unknowable. We have before us Glory Coming. Our Lady has explained herself as the measurable purity, the measurable love. She referred to God the Father as waiting on us. Everything we find ourselves doing is working toward what the Scripture says. For those who love God, all things work toward the good. And you can apply that to evil. Every evil and all evil, for those who love God, will work toward good. We see these Coptic Christians killed. We see what's coming in the future. We said in June, watch out, this is the 33rd year. And now we go into Lent. Yesterday was Ash Wednesday. What does that mean to be in the 33rd year of the apparitions and to enter Lent? You need to be praying. We all went together in our cemetery yesterday. Very cold. The temperature is going down 10 degrees here in Alabama last night or so. And we started a 54-day novena just for Lent because we don't want to miss this historic moment of being in the 33rd year of the apparitions, the 33rd year of the Christ who died, that this is the moment in the age of the apparitions. That's significance. If 777 means the Trinity, if 7 is a biblical number, and other numbers are that way in the Bible, you think it doesn't mean something now? It's our lady who began this in January who said hatred and restlessness is growing day by day. That's the red flag. You're entering Lent. You're going to have a tough go of it. We had a retreat yesterday morning talking about this in the community. To be ready. You're going to be tried. Why? You're going to be crushed. Why? It's going to be difficult. Why? Because tried souls are reliable souls. You're going to be an apostle. You're called to be that. If you don't go through that, you don't get trained, you don't become an seal. you don't graduate, how can you be that and go on missions? We're a mission here. We see that. We believe here we're called to change the world. We don't doubt that. We know it can happen. Because like he says, you can't even comprehend the magnitude. She didn't use that word magnitude, but that's what she's saying. Of the greatness of your role. Do you believe that? Do you follow the messages? Or are you just content to go to Mass and doing your own thing and stay in the system? The system is going to divorce you because they divorce God. And once divorce from God happens, everything falls out of order and everything spins into chaos and out of control. Your job is to bring order. Your job is to become apostle. Your job is to do what I ask. This Lent is very critical that you join us. This is 54 in the novena. You'll be a day behind us or two days whenever you hear this, but you need to be doing a novena for order of your heart. That brings order all around your environment, your family, whatever you're doing. It's imperative. Don't miss the opportunity that it can be seized in a moment of history that will not return. We had the Virgin Mary here. We had the 33rd year Lenten season. The death of Christ. This is momentous. 
We didn't want it to pass in the community. We're going to enter into it. We're going to enter deeper into the messages. We want to look back 30 years from now and say, we were there. We took part in it. We lived the blessed time that I already called a holy time. And in another message, she says, an evil time. They're running parallel with each other, except one's going down, one's going up. Which ladder do you want to be on? Descending or ascending? If you're with Our Lady, you'll be ascending. There's decisions you have to make now, even about your financial situations, which way you're going to go, how you're going to put yourself in the structure of what the future world will be like. And if you want to know what it looks like, that's what Caritas is. Our life, the way of life we live, is based in the messages. We've grown in the love with Our Lady to be what we are and the way we live. That life here is a window to the future that people will be living. It's not your choice. Well, that's good for you. It's not, you don't have a choice. You're going to be forced to it. We did it by invitation because she's been saying that for 33 years. I invite. Coming is the time. There's no more inviting. It's just going to be. They're going to be caught in a desperate situation that you can't change. So we have Franklin online to give his contact information, and that's what his part of our ministry is, is to put you in a position that you make your decisions now, not procrastinate. The procrastination doesn't work. It's over. Delay will not help you. It won't put you on the path where you need to be. Frank? Yeah, these are truly diabolical times when a great Christian nation does these things, and truly glorious times because our ladies here. Our contact information is 877-936-7686. You can also reach us by email at globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. Our website is globalsilverinvestors.com. And when we see all these things happening, I would just say don't trust that those who manipulate the markets have these things under control. Jesus said if the master of the house knew when the thief was going to come, they would stay awake. Be awake during these times. We're here to help you. Please call us. Frank is not doing a commercial venture. This is something I set him up as administrator to distribute some things, and I won't go into detail, we don't have time, that to get you out of the state you're in to save your, your situation financially in a way that you could turn it into something that you could go into the way of life, more of a grand way of life. That's the goal to get there. Well, you're dependent on God and not the economy because the economy's going down because the morals are down. And when the morals are down, everything crashes around. Disorder ensues. Chaos is the results. So Frank is set up that way by us. I chose him to do that because we don't want to, we don't want to do anything commercial. We want to do something spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. So we recommend you calling him for those things and you go into more details with that as far as getting you on a path. Frank started a thousand acre community. Tailored off of Caritas, our community here. Other people are doing the same thing. If you want to be in the future, you got to do it in the present. And one thing to add to that in regards to the subject content of today's broadcast and what a friend of Medjugorje is uh, saying and presenting is uh, the book, uh, Mariana, A Mystery Revealed. That's a free download on Medj.com. You can go to Medj.com, the left-hand menu, go down to the Downloads Booklets, and you can download for free the small book, Medjugorje, Mariana, A Mystery Revealed. And uh, there's a lot more content there and a lot more along this uh, subject line 
of uh, the conversion of people in the future. And again, uh, that's uh, an exclusive interview that a friend of Medjugorje did in a series of conversations uh, with Mariana in regards to some things that are going to take place in the future. So again, that's a free download. Go to medj.com, the left-hand menu, downloads. Click on Booklets, Medjugorje, Mariana, A Mystery Revealed. So think about these words and look at the hatred in the world. Thank God we have Our Lady with us because there's purpose to it. There's good fruit coming from it. But we're going to have a hard, hard tree to grow in some solid rock. It's going to be very arid for us for a long time. We wish you Our Lady. We love you. Goodbye. The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. This ends the Medjinomics show with a friend of Medjugorje. To listen or download free, go to medj.com, spelled M-E-J dot com, the left-hand menu, Radio Wave, and click on Past Shows. To order this show on CD, you can contact Caritas in the U.S. at 205-672-2000. Again, 205-672-2000. Thank you for listening.